Well, I've certainly enjoyed the service tonight. I especially like Sunday night services. Um, one of the reasons being that Jimmy runs the service, and it allows me to be able to worship a little more than on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I feel the, I guess what you say, uh, the weight of the responsibility of the service, and uh, just appreciated being able to just listen in on on uh, the teens as they sang, and enjoyed listening to um, all of our young people and children sing at the. Uh, during the congregational, and then all of y'all, it just was really good. And sometimes, like tonight, I always feel bad to ruin it with having to preach. But you all didn't testify, though it was too late for me to preach, so it's your own fault. <laughs> Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah. Now, if you have a hard time finding it, you start with Matthew and work your way back, Malachi, and then you'll find Zechariah. It's the longest of the minor prophets. Many were absent last week, and so if you weren't here, I would like to encourage you to uh, listen to um, uh, either the website or the podcast, or ask for a CD of last week's, Sunday, last Sunday night's a message. It was the introduction to this book, the whole reason why we're studying this minor prophet that... Um, I asked those that were here, and there was very little that was known about the book, which is good. We're going to be learning together, and there's no problem with us uh, um, learning together, but um, I just want to encourage you, if you, haven't, if you haven't heard last Sunday's message, I really don't know that you can call it a sermon. I didn't really preach, just really gave an introduction, and uh, trust that the Lord will bless Bless you for it. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Zechariah chapter 1. He writes these words. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, and the son of Edo, the prophet saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me and the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for a minor prophet that perhaps largely we have ignored or missed out in his message I ask that you'd help us to hear the words, O oh, Father, 
2,500 years later, we need to hear the truth of this prophet. Speak to our hearts. Anoint us, we pray. In your precious name, amen. You may be seated. Clark Clifford was the White House counsel under Truman, and he was sitting at a state dinner, and uh, he turned to the lady who was sitting beside him, and he he said, excuse me, did uh, did I get your name right? Is it Post? And uh, she said, yes. He said, Emily Post? And she said, yes, yes, my name's Emily Post. He thought for a moment, he says, are you the expert on manners? And she said, why, yes, I am. He sa- she says, why do you ask? He says, well, Miss Post, you have eaten my salad. <laughs> wow. I-, I would love to have seen Emily Post's face when that happened. I'm sure she was red with embarrassment. She is the professional She is the expert. She is the one who knows exactly how to uh, conduct yourself during a state dinner. She is the the one who you go to when you want to know how to conduct yourself. Listen, I've never been invited to eat with the president, and to be honest with you, I'd rather not be invited. I, I mean, it would be a tremendous honor, but I would mess it up. I would probably be in the news. Preacher blows at the eating at the state dinner makes big fool of self. <laughs> I can see the headlines now. I don't know anything except for go from the outside in. That's the only thing I know. Eat from the outside in. And uh, how you know to go from, the ne- from one fork to the next, I'm not quite sure. But I just know, just keep working your way in and hopefully you'll figure it out. But you know, I thought Emily Post as an expert, knew what to do, but somehow she, she didn't do it. She knew exactly how to conduct herself. When, when people needed to know, she was the one to ask. She had all the material down on how to be a person of manners and how to be polite and how to set a table and sit at a table at such an event. But she still ate somebody else's salad. And you know, I think when we read through a text like this, I think there's a temptation for us to say, you know what, I know all about repentance. I'm a Christian. I, I, know, all about, I know all about this stuff. This is great if someone doesn't know the Lord. This is great for a backslider. I'll eavesdrops in, but, but you know, this message really isn't for me. And you know what? I think that if we're not careful, we can eat somebody else's salad. We can just know God's word and we can know the details of it and we can know all the things that we're supposed to do and we can get to the place where we believe we have arrived at being an expert in the things of God. And nobody, no one here would call ourselves that. No one would say, I'm an expert in the things of God. None of us would, would probably be so bold as to say that, that we have it all figured out. But you know what we can do? We can get careless 
We can get careless with the things of God. We can, we can go into a service and... I'm, I'm trying to be careful, and I want to be careful. I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh this, this evening. But you know, we can, we can get real, real caught up in what's on our cell phone. Because you know, we've heard this before. You, we can get caught up in checking our watch every five minutes. And I'm not picking on those that time me. Or maybe I am. <laughs> it's one thing. It is one thing to to know what time it is, and I understand. But but when we we can get to the place that we're so careless about the things of God, we can go through a song service and our lips move, but our heart doesn't. We can go through our really long prayer list, and for a little church, we've got the longest prayer list in the world. Per capita. <laughs> We've just got a long prayer list. And that's fine. I don't mind taking the time to mention them. I, don't, I, I think it's great that we share each other's burdens. I, I, I hope that we are known as a church that prays and that God answers our prayers. But we can kind of check out some of those prayers uh, uh, requests have been on our prayer list for months. And we can kind of check out. And we can go to the place of prayer and And not really be praying. It's kind of a convenient time to catch up on a few moments of nap. Or at least just just check out, turn our brains off. It's really easy to know all the things that we're supposed to do and go through the ritual and go through the routine and end up eating somebody else's salad. Zechariah is known as the prophet of hope. I, I kind of struggled when the Lord led me to Zechariah, and, and uh, I thought, you know, really, I should preach Haggai first. Really, I should preach Haggai. I mean, it's only two chapters. I could have preached it. Haggai starts preaching two months before Zechariah. I should be preaching Haggai and then go to Zechariah. That would have made sense. But I wonder if the reason the Lord led us to Zechariah instead of to Haggai first and kind of just going in from one into the other is, is simply that we are living in a time when we need hope. More than all the other minor prophets combined, Zechariah foretells the coming of Christ. In fact, there's only one prophet in all of the Old Testament who uh, uh, foretells the coming of Christ more than him, and that's Isaiah. Here's this little prophet that none of us pay much attention to and don't know a whole lot about. And really, he is the most hopeful of all of our prophets. He's the one who's trying to, to encourage us, but it's not an empty rah-rah hope. It's a hope in a coming Christ. According to 
Uh, one commentary that I read that the New Testament alludes or quotes Zechariah 41 times. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible that this prophet tucked away, hidden away in the minor prophets that we don't know and, 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 and we know so very, very little about. He's the prophet of hope. And he steps on the scene. He's a young preacher about to preach his first sermon. Some of you have no idea what that's like. For those of us who do know what that's like, it's not very much fun. I was so nervous that I was physically ill and wanted to run and hide. And thankfully, I wasn't given the message that Zechariah was given for his first message. He steps out, on, uh, uh, out and, and uh, the Lord has spoken to me and uh, here's the message. The Lord was really angry at your parents. <laughs> wow! <laughs> what a way to start! Zachariah, you might look at this, you might, might read through this and say, how is this hopeful? How is this, this text that you've, that you've read to us, how is that a message of hope? It's a message of hope. Because we need to hear about our condition. You know, the first thing that we have to do when, when we have something wrong with us, whether if it's a, say it's a physical problem, the first thing that we have to recognize is that we even have a physical problem. We have to, the, the very first step into knowing that, uh, how to take care of a situation or a problem is to know that there's a problem in the first place. I, I, this is elementary. We know it. But you know there's a lot of times we have problems. We don't even know we have them. This past winter, uh, we were, uh, I was driving down the road. I was, it was a, we were getting a storm, and, and the boys had, were going to have a basketball game that we weren't able to go to. And uh, so they were over at Brewers. They got the snowstorm, canceled the game, and I went to pick them up. Because I was afraid we would not have school in the morning. They could have spent the night and it would have been fine. But I, I decided I was going to pick them up. I was afraid that I was going to leave Brewers with my boys for a whole day. And I thought that might be too much. Didn't want to drive him crazy. And so, and so I'm making my way through the, through the storm. And, and I hit this animal. I, probably, I think it was probably a coyote. I'm not sure. But I hit this animal. And I don't know that anything's wrong. I, I finished, I, I hit it just outside of, of Independence. I drive in uh, to the Brewers. I pick up the boys. I, and I'm on my way out and I'm leaving Independence and I don't know there's a problem. I am blissfully unaware that I am in serious, serious danger of blowing up my engine. But I don't know it. Hitting that animal had put a hole in my radiator, and all of my engine coolant was gone. All of a sudden, I mean, my, 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 my gauge was on hot, but I didn't know it. I wasn't paying attention to my temperature gauge. Maybe some of you all pay closer attention to your temperature gauge than I do, but I wasn't paying any attention to it. 
Most of the time it stays where it belongs. The only time I really pay attention to my temperature gauge, to be honest with you, is when I want heat and it's not up yet. And then I'm watching that thing, hoping it'll get up so I can get some heat. I don't know there's a problem. All of a sudden, my, my car beeps at me. Ding, ding. What in the world? I'm looking around at my gauges. I'm trying to figure out why my car is dinging at me. And I look at my temperature gauge, and I'm full in the red. And I know I have a problem. The first thing that we have to do to be able to solve our problem is we have to know that there is, an, is even a problem. We have to be aware of it. And it's so easy. It's so easy to go through life without heating the gauges in front of us. It's so easy to, you know, put off searching our heart until revival comes around. Or camp meeting comes around. And so two or, or three times a year, we ask God to search our hearts. It's kind of been a routine. But you know, on June 2nd, with no revival in sight and camp meeting still a couple months off, search our hearts. Search our hearts. Check the, check the, the, the gauges to see if the temperature is hot. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? This isn't the time of year for that. When Brother Tucker was coming in the spring, yeah. In the fall, when the evangelist comes, we'll do that. And you know what we'll do? We'll go through the little thing through a week, you know. And, and you know, it's Tuesday through uh, Sunday. You know, we'll get through our six services. And then come Monday, you know, we'll, we'll have a little energy and a little pep. And, and we'll try to, to do good and try to live a little better. And, but you know what happens by a week or two later? For the vast, vast majority of us, we go right back to the same condition we were in before revival. And we're going to have to wait six months before we get stirred up a little bit until there's a little ding to let us know that, hey, we better check things out. Haggai's preached two months earlier. He's, he's preached, he says, folks, there's something wrong here. We've been home 16 years. 16 years we've been home. We started working on the temple. And then we all got busy. We had some opposition. We had some hard things happen. And we decided to build our houses. And we're living in nice paneled houses. But the Lord doesn't have a temple. And you know, the people repented. The people got right. The people said, you know what? We ought to get to work. We ought to work on that temple. We ought to do what, uh, what the prophet says. They start minding God. This is exciting. But do you know what happens after two weeks of volunteer, or I'm sorry, two months of volunteering? Ugh. I've been doing this for eight weeks without a break. 
And you know what? The enthusiasm, the excitement of starting has died down. And now we're starting to have to do the hard work. You know, there's, there's fields to, that need taken care of. And there's, uh, you know, we, we got canning to do. And, and, and oh, we've got, you know, this to, that's got to be accomplished. And we got that that needs done. And, uh, you know, it, money's getting a little tight. And, you know, winter's not oncoming. This is probably about November, as I understand correctly. About November of the year, you know, things are getting a little tight. And it's getting a little too cold to work outside. And all the excuses start coming. And the repentance that was real two months ago, well, we're getting right back to normal. We're getting back to the status quo. We're getting back into our rut. We're getting back to where we're comfortable. Haggai's message was two months ago. We did what we were supposed to do. We started working on it. We started building the temple but they don't even realize that there's a problem. It's a dangerous thing to not know there's a problem. If my, if my bell didn't go off in my car, if it didn't ding at me, my engine would have blown up. The gauges would have warned me. I couldn't complain about the manufacturer not giving me the warning. I had the warning. It was there for me to see. I was ignoring it. Not paying any attention, not willfully. Not willfully. I'm not accusing anyone here of willfully re not responding to the, what God has said to you in the past. I would not do that. What I'm suggesting is, is that in the middle, from the, from the beginning to the end, in the middle is the hardest part. And you know what happens? unintentionally. I don't know whether it's through carelessness. I don't know if it's because, you know, it's just hard to maintain enthusiasm. I can't tell you altogether why, but I do know it's human nature. We just start letting things go. Those great messages from that evangelist are or in the past, and maybe we feasted on them for a few weeks, but they're gone. And we just get comfortable, and we're not even aware there's a problem. We're not even aware. And we have a prophet. Zechariah steps up. He says, I've got a message for you. He says, there's a problem. There's a problem. That's not very hopeful. No. No, it's not very hopeful, I guess, to, to hear there's a problem. But you know, I remember when, when the doctor told me I had a problem. Said that I had two discs in my neck that were herniated and, and were pinching the nerves. And that was the ex explanation for why physical therapy wasn't helping and, and why I was in so much pain. And he told me, he says, I'm so sorry. Someone your age shouldn't be going through this. And, and he actually used stronger language than what I feel comfortable using here. But he said, there's a solution. There's a remedy. 
Now, nobody wants to have surgery. I don't think anybody gets excited about having surgery. Nobody says, woohoo, we got surgery on the calendar. None of us want to have it. Unless you need it. Unless you need it. Unless you're in so much pain or, whether, or if you're in so much discomfort or, or, or if, if you don't have that surgery, you're going to die. Then all of a sudden you want surgery. I remember saying to my wife after having the surgery, and I think it was after the surgery, I said, I'm so thankful that I live in a day when they could do surgery for my situation. I said, if I had lived in the 1800s or any time before, I said, I don't know what we would have done. I would have physically been unable to work. I don't know how I would have provided for my family. And that's before social security and, and disability and all these benefits that we have today. I said, I don't know what we would have done. I said, I would have been a burden on the family without this surgery. I am so thankful that I live in a time when I could have this surgery. Not that I wanted it. Not that I appreciated having to go through it. But I appreciated that there was a remedy for my situation. And that is where we are. We are hearing the message. The Lord is upset. Was upset with your father. In fact, the Hebrew has a, the Hebrew has a way of saying things. When, when, when they want to really express something, we say stuff like, really, really. Or if you teach elementary school, you'll hear, really, 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 really. I told my kids, two reallys is all you need. But there's, in the Hebrew, they do something a little different. Instead of saying really, what they do is they say the same word twice over. And so instead of being happy, if you're really, really happy, that it, you're, you have, you're, you're happy with happiness is probably the best way we can interpret it. We're happy, happy. But here, Zechariah says, God is angry with anger. I, there, listen, I don't know that there's a really a good English way to say how angry God is. He is mad. He is boiling with anger. That's not good news. Do you know we've gotten to a place in our culture where we are uncomfortable with the idea of an angry God? We, we throw around a, 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 a statement, and, and, and we say it a lot, and, and I've said it, and, I, and I've heard others say it here. We say this thing that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. And we kind of throw that around. But the Bible tells us, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 711 that God is angry with the wicked every day. He's not just wicked, angry at the sin, he's angry at the sinner. And we've, we've made God into this great big teddy bear, a doting grandfather that never gets upset and never or ever, uh, you know, brings out the belt. And maybe grandpas can get away with that. But fathers can't. 
There's a time that a dad or a mom has to get angry. And not just at the behavior, but angry with the child. And say, listen here. The line is here. And you keep crossing it over and over and over. And because of this, there are going to be consequences. That's not carnal. And that's not inappropriate parenting. I'm sorry, Dr. Phil. This is what is necessary to bring a child under subjection to the will of the parent. It's not something the parent enjoys. It's not something the child enjoys. If you enjoy it as a parent, you need to get something fixed. But there comes a time when it's not just angry with the behavior. You're angry with that child. It's not that you stop loving them. It's not that you've, you know, I'm going to take my love and I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to put it on a shelf somewhere and I'm just going to hold on to anger and I'm angry with you and so I'm going to hate you for a little while then I'll take that down and put it on the shelf and pick up love again. That's not what it is. You're loving them in your anger. And God is provoked. He is angry with the wicked every day. I've heard atheists say, you know, the Christian God says, says that he, Jesus came to save them, but all he did was save them from his own anger. And it's kind of a mock, but you know what? That's right. It's absolutely right. We are saved from the wrath of God. And we're not comfortable talking about the wrath of God. We've turned God into a grandpa. But God isn't grandpa. He's our Heavenly Father. And He has long-suffering. And He's patient. And He'll say to His child, that's wrong. you need to, you gotta, you got to correct that. He'll warn us the second time and a third time. And He'll show us the right way. And He'll let us know this is, this is not correct. This is not the way you can... And He might send some, some discomfort our way. But ultimately, there comes a point when God's wrath is filled up. There's a time, most of you remember when you were kids, there was a time when you knew you crossed the last line. Your parents had a look, and if you got it in church, you knew when you got home that there would be a funeral. You just knew when you crossed the line. The look was there. Or the tone of voice. The whisper, you wait till we get home. <laughs> I mean, there, whatever it is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you were in that place, and some of you still are, and hoping I don't give you that look in a few moments. But when you received that look, you knew that you knew that the time of mercy was over. Mercy was, mercy was there up until this point. And it's funny when it's not us that's on the, about ready to be facing the firing squad. But when it's us, when it's us, when it's we who are, are standing there and the gallows with the noose around our neck, 
and we cry out, what can I do to avoid this awful fate? It's not funny. It's not funny when we're the ones being let out inside the church doors to a certain fate. It's not funny when it's us standing in the place of the wrath of God. We can't hardly preach like Jonathan Edwards of old who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. We can't preach that because all we've done is abused the truth that God is love. We've abused that truth to the point that we have neglected this truth of Zechariah that God is angry with anger. He's mad. He's red hot. I said, Preacher, I thought you said this was a message about hope. It is. It is. But we have to know our place first. God, God is... <laughs> I just love the way that God is just subtle. He can be subtle and he can be plain. He starts off real subtle. You probably missed it. I missed it. I actually had to, I, I had to have a commentator point this out to me. You know, the prophets, you go to Isaiah, you go to the other prophets, many of them, they'll say that in the year of whatever king, and it's a king of Judah or a king of Israel. But Zechariah mentions a Gentile king. And this is what he's saying. You don't have a son of David sitting on your throne because of a result of the behaviors of your fathers. And you're starting the same path your fathers took. And if you want to see this to continue, you just continue the way of your fathers. You don't want a son of David on the throne. You don't want to have uh, peace. You don't want to have your temple. You don't want to have your worship. You don't want to have those things. You just continue the way your fathers went. It's a subtle message. But every Jewish person that was there in Israel recognized. Second year of King Darius. Kind of grind their gears a little bit. Darius. Not a son of David. This isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. We have to become aware that we've got a problem. Of course, Zechariah tells us the solution to the problem. The doctor told me I'd have surgery. Dean told me I'd have a new radiator. I could be mad at Dean for that. I could be mad. Or I could have said, Dean, I really appreciate you telling me what the problem is. I could be mad at him. I could have been mad at the doctor. How can you tell me that I have to have surgery? How can you tell me I've got to have this problem? Or we can listen. And God says, if you'll turn to me, if you'll turn around, in fact, what's interesting is, is this is also the word, the Hebrew word for repentance. If you'll turn around, if you'll repent, and here's what God will do. He said, I'll turn around too. I'll repent too. Here, it, here's a beautiful picture. It's 
it's two. It's, it, this is the beauty of Hebrew poetry. There's two beautiful pictures being painted with us with the same words. There's us. We're going this way. We're going after our own desires. We're going after the lust of the flesh. We're going after all the things that we want. We're going this way, and God's going this way. God's going towards holiness. God's going towards righteousness. He's walking away from us just as we're walking away from Him. But God says, if you'll turn around and you'll start coming this way, you'll turn around, what happens? God doesn't keep walking and say, hurry and catch up. God turns around and says, I'm going to come to where you are because I know you could never catch up to me. You could never catch up to my righteousness. You could never catch up to my holiness. You could never catch up. If I kept going this way, you would always be behind. But I will turn towards you and I will meet you. And not in the middle, but I'll meet you where you are. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. But here's the other picture. Here's the other picture that Zachariah is painting for us. He says, you've, you've come to the end of yourself. You've realized that all the, the lust of the flesh and all these things, uh, this way that you're going is leading you down destruction. It's leading you down a bad way. It's leading you under the rule of Darius and not the rule of God. And you repent. And God, who is, is bringing out His justice, and He's bringing, pouring out His wrath, and the God who's bringing out His punishment on, on you and your wickedness and in your sinful choices, the same God who, who's, uh, who's angry with anger, repents and says, I'm not going to punish you anymore. I have a change of mind. I've changed my mind. That isn't to say that we won't reap what we sow. It doesn't mean that all the consequences of our choices from, from what we've done before is suddenly gone like that. There are consequences to our choices that sometimes are lifelong. Choices that we've made sometimes carry, we carry the scars of those forever and ever. But God is saying that all that wrath and all of that, that justice that he's demanding, he's changing his mind. Just as you changed your mind to, to, and chose to turn away from, from that stuff, he's going to turn away from his wrath and his anger. It's a beautiful word picture. It's a beautiful picture. But you know what we have to do? We have to hear the call. I believe that almost always, I don't know if it's always, but almost always God's speaking. The problem is, is we're hard of hearing. And sometimes we hear and we just don't want to do it. You ever call your child and you know they heard you, but they didn't come? Oh, drive me crazy. And you know what? If I'll be honest, you know, there were times that I heard, but I didn't come. I waited till they called the second or third time where they got loud enough, and then I went. I wasn't a perfect angel growing up. I'm sure I drove my parents crazy more than once. And you know, if you're honest, you probably didn't come every time you were called. Kind of put on like, oh, I, uh, I didn't hear you. Maybe you didn't say it. You didn't want to lie. 
But oh, oh, were you calling me? I was reading. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I, I was playing a game. I, I'm sorry. Uh, here I am. Did you need something? There's a difference between hearing and hearkening. Do you know, I think with us, it isn't that we're out and out sinning. I don't think it's that we're out and out just doing whatever we want to do. At least I hope not. You know what I, what I think happens to us most of the time? Is we're just not motivated to hearken to the voice of God. We have sharp words in the home, and the Holy Spirit checks us, and we know we ought to apologize, but we let our pride get in the way. Oh, it won't matter. Or they know I'm sorry, or they know they, that I love them, and we just override that check. You know, it's, it's not that we acted on that sin, but... We've thought about it. And you know, we've kind of have it in our mind that if God wasn't looking, maybe we would. Or maybe it's unholiness. We know we're not sanctified. But you know, we're not pursuing it with all our hearts. We've just gotten, you know, we'll, when we get there, we get there. You know, someday, you know, maybe I'll hear a good sermon at camp or I'll hear a good, good evangelist uh, uh, come and, and during one of our revivals. Uh, maybe then I'll seek holiness. Maybe I'll wait till I understand it better. But we're not reading any books on it. We're not studying out holiness. We just get... You know, just like it's, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. You know, we have a rule in our house to saying, delayed obedience is disobedience. Some of you probably have heard that. Maybe some of you have said that. Some of you probably are sick of hearing it. When I say to my children, come, I mean come this moment. I don't mean in five minutes. Now, if they say to me that they're busy doing something and they'd like to come in five minutes and they check with me, I may give them permission for five minutes. But my expectation is that they will do it immediately or ask for an extension of time to obey. It's either or. They don't just get those five minutes because they want it. They have to ask for them. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And how, how often do we delay in our obedience? Maybe we start well. Maybe we started on the temple, been two months, and then, you know, we, maybe we're seeking holiness. Maybe we started well, but you know, it got long and it got tedious. And we got, tried to read Daniel Steele and he lost us along the way. Maybe John Wesley was just used too many old words he didn't know. 
Or maybe we went to the altar and we felt better. And so he claimed it whether we had it or not. Or maybe we shouted, and so that means we got it. But we got home and it didn't change us. And we certainly wouldn't want to admit that we were wrong. And so we just start delaying our obedience. We just start delaying our obedience. God, I'll get to it. I'll get to the temple. I'll get, I'll get back to working on my, my spiritual journey. I'll get back to doing things right. I'll get to it. Just, I'm, I'm just real busy right now. or It's not convenient right now. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. The road to heaven is paved with good choices. I know our Calvinist brothers and sisters, they tell us, they tell us that we have nothing to do with it, that God saves us by his grace, and there's nothing that no there's nothing on our part. But Zechariah makes it clear, we've got to be people of repentance and obedience if we ever hope to be in a place where we can receive the blessings of God. Zechariah makes this clear for us right here. We need no other argument. This is not just that God says, I pick you and I pick you, zap, you have it. No, it's a choice that we have to make of turning away from our old selves and our old ways and choosing to walk in obedience. And it's not just repentance. It, he, he talks about, in fact, in verse 6, he talks about how the fathers repented. King Saul repented. There's a lot of people in the Scripture who repent. But it doesn't do them any good. It's not enough to repent. You have to repent with obedience. You can't just be sorry for your sin. You have to turn away from your sin. You can't just say, I'm sorry I did it, and now I'm going to go and do it again, and, and I'll be sorry for doing it again. It's I'm choosing to walk in obedience by God's grace and God's help. I'm going to walk in obedience. Repentance without obedience will not save you. It won't. Preacher, you keep telling us that Zechariah is the prophet of hope. This doesn't sound very hopeful. But here's what I want you to know. God has provided all that we need. God has provided all that we need. This is what he said. He said that the Lord was angry with your fathers. That it was a past tense. Your God hath been. He was past tense. He was angry with your fathers. But listen, that doesn't have to be the present tense. This is the good news. This is the hope. You don't have to be a victim of the same judgment that your parents received. You don't have to repeat their mistakes. 
when I was, one of my seminary uh, classmates told us, me about a secular song they were talking in class. And I put it on. I wanted to, uh, it, what they said kind of moved me. And so I, and, and here the, the songwriter is struggling in this song. And this is the struggle he's writing about. And the, what the songwriter is singing about. He's, he's struggling because he's repeating the same mistakes his parents made. And he's wondering if he is doomed to live out the mistakes of his parents if it's in the blood. If it's in the blood, if he's, he, he just can't help himself, he's doomed to repeat his parents' mistakes. And do you know what? The Old Testament talks about the f- sins of the father being visited upon the children and the children's children under the third and fourth generation. We can look all over and we can see sons of alcoholics becoming alcoholics. Those that were abused as children by their fathers are abused as, uh, abusive now. The sins of the father is often repeated by the children and the children's children. And he's asking, is it in the blood? Or is it, can it be washed out by the water? And I, I listened to that song and I wanted to scream at the song uh, writer and those that are singing it. Listen, it's not washed by water. It's washed by the blood of the Lamb. The sins of our parents don't have to be our sins. The consequences of our parents don't have to be our consequences. It doesn't get washed out in the water. It gets washed in the blood. We don't have to go that way. We don't have to go that way. Children are divorced are more likely to get divorced, but it doesn't mean you have to get divorced. It doesn't mean it. It doesn't doom you. You're not doomed. Praise God. God offers a remedy. And that's the hope. That's the hope. But you know what? Even as we talk about the hope, and as even people amen and say yes, Satan's sitting on your shoulder. And he's got two things that he wants to get you to do. One of, the, one of two things that he wants you to do. He says, why don't you, first of all, he recommends a delay. He recommends a delay. You see it in the scripture here. Satan offers a delay. Why, well, we will do it. We, we will get it done. We, it's sometime later. Do you know what the worrisome thing about delay is? Is the more we delay, the harder it is to get started. Procrastination is addictive. And you get to the deadline. And then you try to hurry up and catch up. And so you can turn it in on time. They've got a whole bunch of scientific research they're doing on procrastination. Because it's so controlling of people's lives. And I'll be honest, I'm a procrastinator. I can be that way sometimes. And the people are tempted by Satan. Why don't you delay? Why don't you wait? But here's what the Zacharias says. He said, where are your fathers? Where are your fathers? 
while they're dead. And where are the prophets that preach to them? Their ministries are over. Their ministries are over. Their opportunity, their opportunity passed. They came to a realization after the Babylonians showed up. And it was too late. There were a lot of people around the ark who were banging on the door, ready to change their minds when the rain started to fall. And there's a lot of people who are in hell this evening who are banging on the gates of hell, willing to change their minds now. But they delayed. They delayed. And the problem is, is we don't know where the deadline is. We don't know when death's going to come calling. And I thank God for deathbed repentance. But none of us are assured of deathbed. You say, preacher, you sound like you're preaching to sinners. And maybe, I, maybe it does sound that way. But I'm also talking to us that are delaying in our obedience. Saying we're going to start this. We're going we're to start prayer in our home. We're going uh, to start whatever the case might be that God's been putting his finger on in your life. And you just keep putting it off. Putting it off. Putting it off. Are you saying that you can't get to heaven if you delay in some of these things? I'm afraid sometimes maybe we might just miss it. We'll have comforted ourselves with the idea that we'll start it in the future until we get so comfortable we don't even get stirred up with a message like this. And those old-time preachers, those preachers you grew up on, those great preachers, the Glenn Griffiths, and those great preachers that, that, that stirred your heart, and those names are running through your mind right now. Where are their ministries? They're over. They're over. And the question is, Who's going to stir your heart now? Who's going to stir your heart now? A little young preacher by the name of Zechariah? Is he going to stir your heart when Isaiah wouldn't and Jeremiah wouldn't? Are the young preachers of today going to stir your heart when those great men of God from your youth and from your middle age years, when they couldn't stir your heart, or maybe they did, but, but you didn't act on it. If they can't, you're gonna, is a preacher of today going to be able to do it? Their ministries are over. And when we get comfortable not listening because we've delayed, the ministries are over. And it gets harder to hear. If Satan can't get you to delay, then he'll try to get you to doubt. And God says to you in response to that, Zechariah, God knows the hearts of people so well. He says, listen, my word is true. I told your parents that they were going to go into captivity, and they did. You look at history, and what I say happens. I love the songs, He Never Has Failed Me Yet. It's a great song, isn't it? 
It's a great testimony of how history proves that God's word is true. That's the positive, but there's a negative to it. It's Zechariah's message. God said judgment was coming and judgment came. God said the Babylonians are coming. And the people said, no, he's not. They're not here yet. God wouldn't let his, his uh, people be scattered around the world. God wouldn't allow that. We're God's people. And then God lets it happen. And do you know what we say? Why God let that happen to us? How could God allow a 9-11? Well, I can tell you how God can allow a 9-11. And I'm not saying necessarily 9-11 was God's judgment. But what I'm trying to help us understand is God can allow some of those things to happen because he's trying to tell us that his word is true. And all you need to do is look at history to find out when God says it, he means it. And that's why we have testimony times is so that others can hear that what God said to me, he meant. When he said he'd be with me, he was with me. When he said he'd provide my needs, he provided my need. We have testimony times as evidence that what God says, he means. And usually we think of those in the positive, but folks, there's the negative side to it too. I've been lengthy tonight and I apologize. But Zechariah's message is one that's key to us. It's key to us, important for us today in the time of hopelessness. While we are facing an abortion war, states that are, are basically banning it and other states that are allowing it up until basically until the child's born. While we're facing with all sorts of gender issues and, and, and marriage issues and, and, and all sorts of, of uh, just sin just being commonplace. As the internet and the smartphone has made pornography commonplace. As all these things are, are taking root in our culture, it seems to be hopeless. But Zechariah stands up and he says, there's a cure. There's a cure. But you have to hearken to God. Don't, don't let it slide. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate it. Don't doubt what God says is true. God's word it's true. His word is true. It's a message of hope for us. It's a message of hope for our nation. It's a message of hope for you that, that has let some things slide in your life. Some things that you need to, to do over. Some apologies that, that you've put off. Some carnal traits that you've overlooked. Some humbling of ourselves that we've neglected. Some renewing of our mind that's been put off far too long. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart, not at revival time, not when camp starts in August, but today. Today. Stand. Father, I thank you for your word of hope. And you know where we are. The Holy Spirit is the searchlight of heaven. 
And Lord, we, we like to cover up our sin. We like to cover up our carelessness. We like to cover up our delayed obedience. We want to look good. We want to think we're okay. The people had responded in Haggai two months before. And our people have responded in the past. But Lord, if there's obedience that we're behind in, help us to catch up. Help us to catch up. Help us to search you, seek you out, know you, turn away from ourselves and turn towards God. Search us, O oh God. And help us to listen, not just hear, but to listen, to hearken, obey what you say to us throughout this week. Lord, you know the battles, the burdens each one is facing. I pray that you'd be with each one. Give us each a good week, and may we come back together knowing that you have been with us each and every moment of our day. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.